You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. Jesus didn't die because he was a bigot. If, if we're saying let Christianity die in its bigoted form because resurrection can only come after death, it's got to be the right kind of death. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 224 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast, where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. Our title this week is Losing One's Life. Our featured text is Seng's Gospel Q17. 33, the one who finds one's life will lose it, and the one who loses one's life for my sake will find it. Our companion text, our Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds their life will lose it, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And Luke 17, 31 through 35, on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, whoever loses their life will preserve it. Before we begin unpacking this week's saying, I think it's important to to just emphasize context, context, context. Um, If you haven't read uh, last week's eSight or listen to last week's podcast, I also want to strongly recommend you do that as a foundation for, for understanding this week's saying. This week's saying, if it's not understood in its context, um, as we discussed last week, it, it could easily be interpreted as Jesus teaching the oppressed uh, a message of self-sacrifice rather than self-affirmation or self-reclamation. And, and I, I don't believe in the myth of redemptive suffering. Our our hope is not in sacrificing ourselves, but rather in learning how to reclaim ourselves, how to regain our own humanity, and to stand in solidarity with those who who are doing the same work. In a world where people's selves are already being sacrificed by those who dominate, subjugate, and marginalize them, I don't believe Jesus offered a message of of further self-sacrifice. I I believe he offered a, a way for the oppressed to take hold of life in the face of what could have been the longest odds. And in this world where people's existence is threatened or even denied, remember Audre Lorde's words. She reminds us, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. So so what what other than self-sacrifice could Jesus have meant when he spoke of losing one's life and finding one's life. And remember, when the status quo is confronted, when it's challenged or when it's threatened, those who have the most to lose to to change will threaten some form of a cross, uh, quote-unquote, a cross, as an attempt to silence those who are calling for change. And as we discussed last week, that cross is not intrinsic to following Jesus. It only comes into the picture when those in power and places of privilege, when they use the cross or the threat of violence to quiet those that they've repressed. And it's only at this point do I think that these words of Jesus become a source of life for the oppressed. The question Jesus is asking is not, are you willing to suffer, but do you desire to fully live? Will you continue to thrive, even in the face of threats, or or will you accept things as they are, reluctantly, but without protest, um, 
letting go of of your hold of life. And and re- remember, remaining alive in this context, remaining alive but silent, is actually death. And and refusing to let go of your hold on life, even when threatened with death, that's living. That's life. On March 8, 1965, in the day after Bloody Sunday, Dr. King, he thundered from the pulpit, a man might be afraid his home will get bombed, or he's afraid that he'll lose his job, or he's afraid that he'll get shot or beaten down by state troopers, and he may go on and live until he's 80. He's just as dead at 36 as he would be at 80. The cessation of breathing in his life is merely the belated announcement of an earlier death of the spirit. He died. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for that which is right. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for justice. A man dies when he refuses to take a stand for that which is true. So we're going to stand up amid horses. We're going to stand up right here in Alabama amid the billy clubs. We're going to stand up right here in Alabama amid amidst police dogs if they have them. We're going to stand up amidst tear gas. We're going to stand up amid anything they can muster up. Let the world know that we are determined to be free. And I think it's in this context that this week's saying is not one of self-sacrifice, but self-affirmation in the face of threat. In Jesus' saying this week, the one who finds life um, is the one who's preserving their life by remaining silent in response to injustice. And finding one's life in this way is a way of actually losing it. And you may keep breathing, but you're in reality dead. Um, And being willing to lose one's life, if need be, to stand up for justice um, of not letting go of one's life, um, that's what it means to find one's life. So, So this is the... I know it's counterintuitive, but take it in the, in, in the context of, of responding back to threatened crosses um, if you continue to protest. This is the self-affirming refusal to be bullied by those in power. It's a refusal to, to roll over and just patiently endure, waiting for oppression to, to change all by itself. It's, it's a refusal to become nothing more than a doormat, waiting for change to come from the top down. Change never comes from the top down. And, and, and that thought reminds me of, of three quotations this week, too. The first quotation comes from um, Paulo Ferrer, who uh, uh, argues that oppressive power is intrinsically antithetical to liberation. Um, he writes in the book Pedagogy of the Oppressed, and this is the 30th anniversary edition. He writes, the, oppressor who, the oppressors who oppress, exploit, and rape by virtue of their power cannot find in this power the strength to liberate either the oppressed or themselves. Only power that springs from the weakness of the oppressed will be sufficiently strong to free both. So in hierarchical power structures, uh, the same tools that are used by those at the top to dominate and subjugate, they cannot be used uh, to liberate. The second quotation is from a speech Frederick Douglass gave in 1857. Um, It's since been titled, If There's No Struggle, There's No Progress. But he said, those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation, are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, and it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. 
Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. Find out just what any people will quietly submit to and you found out exactly the measure of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them. And that these will continue till they are resisted with either words or blows or with both. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. In the light of these ideas, Negroes will be hunted at the, no- hunted at the north and held and flogged at the south so long as they submit to those devilish outrages and make no resistance, either moral or physical. Men may not get all they pay for in this world, but they must certainly pay for all they get. If we ever get free from oppressors, from oppressions, and wrongs heaped upon us. We must pay for their removal. We must do this by labor, by suffering, by sacrifice, and if need be, by our lives and the lives of others. So according to Douglas, then, change comes from the bottom up, from this resistance. And lastly, um, the, the third quotation that came to mind is the words of James H. Cohn in his book, God of the Oppressed. This is from page 202. There will be no change from the system of injustice if we have to depend upon the people who control it and believe that the present order of injustice is the best of all possible societies. It will be changed by the victims whose participation in the present system System is against their will. It's not the responsibility of the oppressed to, to liberate the oppressors. I want to be clear about that. Um, theirs is a struggle for their own liberation. Yet the reality still is that when the oppressed remove the oppressor's power, change is accomplished for everyone, for all of us. And not only are the oppressed reclaiming their own humanity, they also create the possibility for oppressors to rediscover and embrace their humanity too. And whether the oppressors take hold of that humanity, their own humanity, or whether they pass off the stage of history and and bitter defeated bigotry, that's a decision for them. But Christianity, I think, um, also has to face this choice, especially evangelical Christianity. Evangelical support of today especially, the American establishment, it's nothing new. Christianity has a long history of being used to legitimize established orders. At the same time that that many black people used Christianity as a means to survive and resist, many white people used Christianity to, to legitimize slavery and to resist abolitionism. And today, too, many use Christianity to, to legitimize their homophobia and their transphobia and their patriarchy and their misogyny. And, and I attended a conference this past month where many of the speakers voiced concerns for the future of Christianity. Um, the question was asked over and over again, uh, what can be done to, to, to keep Christianity alive? And some said, just let it die. Resurrection can only come after death. And, and, and that, that sounds great as a soundbite. Um, but I think that it's actually ill-founded. Jesus didn't die because he was a bigot. If if we're saying let Christianity die in its bigoted form because resurrection can only come after death, it's got to be the right kind of death. Uh, standing in solidarity with uh, oppressors and justifying the domination of the vulnerable is is not the kind of death that, that resurrection follows. He, Jesus died because he stood in solidarity with the vulnerable against the status quo. And it's time that we stood with the oppressed too. If there is a God of the oppressed in our sacred text, I think we can only be standing with God if we're also standing with the oppressed and, and working towards liberation alongside of them. We'll only be able to reclaim the humanity of Christianity if we as Christians are working alongside those who are working to liberate themselves. And I'm not saying Christianity is doomed. 
I'm saying that we have to stop caring whether we survive and choose instead the all-consuming preoccupation of standing with the vulnerable, stand alongside them and engage the work of liberation. If Christianity ceases to exist doing this kind of work, the work of standing with the oppressed, then maybe there will be a resurrection for it. But a resurrection from any other type of institutional death is not a resurrection that that I'm interested in, honestly. Resurrection that doesn't follow standing with those on the undersides and edges of society isn't authentic resurrection as defined by the Jesus story. If Christianity doesn't discover how to stand with women, how to stand with people of color, how to stand with immigrants, how to stand with gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and gender nonconforming people. It's not a Christianity that I want to be a part of. I'd rather follow Jesus and stand with the oppressed, those that are mentioned in Luke 4.18, than to find a way for Christianity to continue in the old order. In the Jewish prophetic justice tradition, we find the ancient call to the Hebrew people too. Um, This is from Isaiah 58. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with pointing a finger of malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like well-watered gardens, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And maybe we too might hear this call to do away with uh, oppressing the vulnerable. And and my hope is that we'll too live in in solidarity with the, the liberation of the oppressed. Um, I know when the system pushes back, it can be scary. But that's when this week's saying, I think, comes into bearing. The one who finds one's life um, is the one who loses one's life. If you find your life by by remaining silent to injustice, you're really losing one's life. Um, And and the one who loses one's life, who's willing to stand up in the face of of threats, uh, for Jesus says, for my sake, or we might as well just say, the sake of the oppressed, um, that's when you find your life. The heart group application this week, this week I want you to take some time to contemplate a poem that's become meaningful to me uh, over the last few weeks. It's Oscar Romero's poem, Taking the Long View, and I'll read it to you. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. And there's a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. 
It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and to do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that's the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. What I want you to ask yourself this week is what speaks to you in Romero's words here. Um, Is there encouragement? Do you find challenge? Do you find affirmation? Maybe some inspiration? And then when you come together, number three this week, as you come together in your heart group, share your thoughts uh, with each other uh, this upcoming week. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Uh, Keep living in love, participating in the the work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation as, as we together seek to make our world a safe, compassionate, uh, just home uh, for everyone. Remember, you're not alone. Um, we're, we're working alongside with you. And tonight, I'm in Asheville, actually, for our first 525-1 event. So send us lots of, of well wishes. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.